Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinances I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Look, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of Yahweh comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today again for your prophet Malachi, your messenger. I thank you for a good understanding, Father, of this book. I pray, Father, today that this scripture would be able to be understood easily by everybody in here. And that I would be able to preach it in such a way that it stays with the people. And Father, I pray that you'd lead me and guide me through your word. And so we want to, want to give you the praise and the glory today, Father, and the honor. And it's through your Son that we pray our Messiah. Amen. So let it be. Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. I want to title the sermon today, Make Mention of the Law of Moses. Make mention of the law of Moses. By way of introduction, let me say that the book from the prophet Malachi has been one of very stern rebuke upon the priests in Judah and upon the people in Judah. Many, many times we have read as we've studied this book verse by verse, word by word, we have read where Yahweh speaks to these people to honor Him with the life that they live and not just with the words that they say. And isn't it so easy for us to give honor not just to Yahweh, but even to people with the words that we say. But it's a whole other ball game, isn't it? To honor them with the life that we live. It really is. I know so many people today that would tell me that they're saved. But you know, if I'm honest with myself, I know so few that show me that they're saved. And this is what Yahweh's talking to the priests about. You're not showing me that you love me. Yeah, you're saying it, but it's not showing forth in how you live. Let that be a lesson to us. Each of these times in Malachi has been a call from Yahweh to be obedient to his instructions. In chapter 1, 6 through 14, he instructed them to keep his commandments concerning unblemished sacrifices. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, he instructed them to be diligent in teaching the people of Israel the law. In chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, he tells them not to marry the daughter of a foreign god. In chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, he reprimands them for putting away the Israelite wife of their youth. And in chapter 3, verse 5, he speaks of judging against people like sorcerers, adulterers, false swearers, those who oppress widows and orphans, those who cheat others, and those who deny justice. And in chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, he rebukes them for not paying the tithe, the full 10%, or for giving, or I should say for not giving, the contributions that they owe to Yahweh. However, we saw in the last message that there was a faithful remnant amongst the Judahites that feared Yahweh and spoke about Him and His ways often to one another. We saw how that there is and there will be a definite distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one that serves God, that is, that keeps God's law, and the one that does not serve God, the one that does not keep God's law. 
there is a difference now. There is. But that difference will be extremely distinct on the day that Yahweh prepares. It will be. So there was a little ray of hope there in that last message we saw in Malachi. How that Yahweh has a book of remembrance. And in that book of remembrance is written the names of the people that fear Him and that think about His name. They are a special possession to Him. And in the final day of judgment, they will come leaping out of a stall like a, like a newborn calf. And they will trample the wicked like ashes under the soles of their feet. That's thus saith Yahweh. So we saw that ray of hope and it was very encouraging. And that brings us to the final three verses in the book. And the theme continues on. In verse 4 we read again, it says, Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant. The statutes and ordinances I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. So here the prophet gives an instruction here as he closes out the book. And that instruction is this, is to remember the instructions of Moses. The word instruction here in the Hebrew is the word Torah. It's a very common word used in the Hebrew language. Most of the time in the English Bible, it's translated as law. Law is not necessarily an absolute wrong translation, but it's probably not the best translation. You can translate the word Torah as instruction or maybe even guidance or teachings or even commandments. All of those are good translations of this word. But he tells us here that we're to remember the Torah. We're to remember the law. We're to remember the instructions. And he tells us the instructions of Moses. And a lot of people like to make a distinction and say that the law of Moses is different from the law of Yahweh. But it's not. The reason that it's called the law of Moses is not because Moses made it up. It's because Moses was the one that was given the law. One of the most righteous men in the Bible, probably. I know probably about it, he is. Yahweh talks about him very, very highly. It's not to say that he was perfect. And so Yahweh says, remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him. Notice that he says, which I commanded him. So he's showing you that it's through agency that the Israelites get this law from Moses. And so it can be rightfully called the law of Moses. And if my memory serves me right, it's called the law of Moses, I think, over 30 times in the Bible. That might be just the Old Testament scripture uh, number there. But I want to say over 30 times in either just the Old Testament or maybe in the complete Bible. So don't let that phrase throw you off. Don't think that it's wrong to use. I stand before you here today and tell you that I'm a keeper of the law of Moses. And I think that the prophet Malachi would be right beside me. So he says, remember that law of Moses. Remember that instruction of Moses. When Yahweh states here for Judah to remember the law of Moses, what he's asking him is this. In the word remember, he means to recall, to bring it to mind, to think about it, to cause it to be memorialized. That's what the word remember in Hebrew means. One of the common Hebrew words for remember means to make mention, to mention it. And see, one of the reasons why the law of Moses is not remembered today by a lot of people that profess to be Bible believers is because it's not made mention of. And Yahweh tells us here, really, when He says, remember the instruction of Moses, He's telling us, make mention of it. 
This is the same reason why Yahweh's name had been forgotten for so long. It's because it wasn't made mention of. In Exodus 3 verse 15 where Yahweh is talking about His name and He says of His name that it is His memorial. When you look at that memorial, really what it literally says is it is His mention. This is how you're supposed to remember Him. Memorialize me by this name. And people come up with a lot of different excuses, myself included in the past, why they shouldn't have to use that name. But none of that matters. None of those excuses matter. Because Yahweh says in Exodus 3.15, this is my memorial. I want you to remember me by this name. But see, if we don't do that, if we don't make mention of that name, then eventually that name gets forgotten. Now, praise Yahweh, a lot more people now are making mention of His name. And guess what's happening? It's not being forgotten anymore. More people know about it. Why? Because we're obeying that commandment. More people are beginning to obey that commandment. Likewise, when we begin to obey the commandment of Malachi 4, verse 4, to remember the law of Moses, guess what will happen? More people will know about the law. But if we hold back and don't remember it, that is, make mention of it, Recall it, bring it to mind, teach people about it, tell people about it. People will stay in darkness. They won't know about it. Right? Sometimes it's just that people don't know. It's not always, I think a lot of times we get in our mind, that it's always that people are kicking against the goads. I think that a lot of times it is. I think a lot of times people reject. And that's wrong. But a lot of times though, it's that people just don't know. And you know what? If we know, if we have a treasure or something that's special to us, then we're obligated to share it with others that don't know. If I knew how to cure an incurable disease, and I knew for sure how to cure it, and a person had this incurable disease, you know, it wouldn't take me long at all. I would probably stop what I was doing when I found out and immediately go and find that person and share with them the cure for what they once thought was incurable. Why? Because it was special. It was a treasure. And I wanted to help them. And you know, there can be nothing greater than the teachings of Yahweh when it comes to something special. All through the Proverbs and the Psalms, He tells us that my law is to be the apple of your eye. It's it's sweeter than honey. It's more to be desired than fine gold. Yea, than much fine gold. We sing the song in Psalm 19. That's one of my favorite songs. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. He says that by the law, His servant is warned. And in the keeping of the law, there's great reward. That's in Psalm 19. So let's make mention of the law. Let's remember it. That's what that means. This is one of the last instructions given in what's commonly called the Old Testament writings. And there will be here about a 400 year gap between the last prophet of the Tanakh of the canon of the Old Testament and the time of a man named John the Baptist who was also a prophet. There's about a 400 year space between what people say the Old Testament and the New Testament. And history didn't just completely go off the scene during this 400 year time. You can read a lot about what happened in this intertestamental period in what's called the Apocrypha or some people call it the Deuterocanon, the second canon. Great writings in the book of the Maccabees, in the book of Judith, Tobit, and all this. Not here today to say whether they're inspired by the Holy Spirit or not. But I am here to tell you that they 
are they are writings of things that actually took place. As a matter of fact, if you're any what familiar with the celebration of Hanukkah, the Hanukkah celebration comes from the book of First Maccabees. And it's a beautiful story. I urge you to do some research and check that out. It's wonderful. But we've got about a 400-year gap in between the Testaments here. And one of the last things out of the prophet's mouth is to bring to mind or don't forget the law of Moses. And that was the problem through the whole book of Malachi, wasn't it? They kept forgetting about the law. He said, you're despising me. And they look at him, I speak figuratively, and they say, well, where have we despised you? You have uh, forsaken me. But where have we forsaken you, they say. They keep forgetting about the law. It is important for us to take extreme caution here. If Yahweh asks us to remember the law, then we need to be extra sure to remember it. To make mention of it and practice it or else it will be forgotten. Here's a few good ways to remember the law. Read the law. Now, I think you should read the Bible in general every day. And there is so many Bibles today and so many methods that you can go through the Bible in a year. I'm doing one where you go through it in 90, every 90 days. But you, they've got many of them where you go through it every year. And you can start off and you read a little bit each day and you get through it in the entire year. That's a great thing for you to do. And if you're not disciplined enough to do it with the Bible that you have, you can go to the Christian bookstore and you can buy you what's called a one-year Bible. And it'll outline it for you. I think that's wonderful. Something that each and every one of us should be doing is constantly just reading the Bible. I'm not talking about studying right now. Just reading it. It's a wonderful thing. But I think we need to put extra effort into reading the instructions. The part of the Bible where it tells us the standard of right and wrong. These things are wrong. These things are a sin. And these are what you're supposed to practice. And that's found in the first five books of the Bible. That's particularly the Torah, the instructions of Yahweh through Moses. And so read the law. That's a great way to remember the laws, to read it. Secondarily is to study the law. Not just read through the law, but to study it. There's no way that you can keep all of Yahweh's commandments all at one time. I've been serving Yahweh now. I guess I grew up in church my whole life, but I really dedicated myself to Yahweh probably about at the age of 15. So I've been serving Yahweh for close to 15 years personally where it's something special to me. And I can tell you that Yahweh never has shown me everything that I know now all at one time. He's given it to me a little bit at a time, different pieces. And I'm so thankful for that because I feel like if somebody put it all on my plate at one time, that it would choke me to death. It would be like when I, when I get a good steak, Brother Mike. I love to eat steak, Brother. It would be like me trying to shove that steak all down my throat at one time. No, I, I asked the wait, waiter for a knife and a fork and I cut pieces off. And I eat a piece at a time. Right? And sometimes that's what you have to do with the law. And a lot of times I feel I try to make everything as simple as possible when I teach. I try to teach the congregation just like I teach my children at home. But sometimes I think, though, that you may not be catching it. But listen, don't worry about that. If I say something up here, or whoever it is says something up here, and you say, you know, I just, I, I, you know, it flew right, right, right across. Don't worry about it. It'll get said again. 
And you, you might learn it the next time. You know, don't think that you've got to take it all in at one time. You might think of all these messages we've taught on Malachi, and you might think, that's a lot to swallow. And it is. But don't think that you've got to know it overnight. You learn it little by little. You study it. And so, you know, right now, there's some laws that I'm working on that I'm not obe- obedient to. may not be the same ones that you're working on. But I'm working on those. I'm studying individual commandments of Yahweh that I've got to apply to my life. So that's what you do. You take them one at a time. You know, a good one for the children is the fifth commandment. Honor thy father and thy mother. You know, that's a good one. Put that to practice. And that just doesn't go for the little children like the five I've got, but it goes for any of us that still have living parents. A big part of that commandment is that when our parents get old enough where they can no longer take care of their self, then their children are obligated by Yahweh's commandments to take care of their, of their parents. The third way that we can remember it is to practice it. Put it to practice. It's not going to do any good if it just stays on the page. But when you read it, and you're working on that law, that one that you're studying, let's say you're working on the law, do not covet. You're having a hard trouble with that one because you see people with things and you just covet, 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 covet. And you read the law and it says, do not covet your neighbor's house, do not covet your neighbor's wife, his ox or his donkey, his male or female servant, or anything that is your neighbor's. And so you work on that. How do you work on it? You put it to practice. You wake up in the morning, you ride down the road, and you say, you know what, today I'm, I'm going to do better than I did yesterday at coveting because I've got a problem with that commandment. I just use that as an example. That's the one Paul used in Romans 7. I could use many of them, but you get my point. It's not going to do any good if it just sits on the page. As you go law by law, you put those to practice in your life. And you know what? You, go, you grow more righteous. I'm not talking here about imputed righteousness whereby we're able to stand before Yahweh. That comes from the Messiah. I'm talking about actual righteousness, personal righteousness, sanctification. The more commandments you keep, the more you grow in your sanctification the more righteous you get before Yahweh personally. Okay? So it's a good thing. Put it to practice. The fourth way is to tell other people about its goodness. I could go on and on about this, but I'll give you one chapter. When you witness to people about the law, and if you want to tell them about its goodness, ask them before you leave their presence to read Psalm 119. Chapters and and verses were added in by man. I understand that. But it's the longest chapter in the English version of our Bible, Psalm 119. Psalm 119 uplifts the law of Yahweh. There's no way that anybody can read Psalm 119 that's in their right mind and doesn't have a hidden agenda that when they get through reading it, they'll say that the law is a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. Psalm 119 proves it. If you have never read that chapter, go and read it. If you've read it before, read it again. It's beautiful. A fifth way that we can remember it is to teach it to our children. This is a big one, and it even convicts me as I, as I speak it right now because I do not teach my children enough. I don't, the law. And I think that that's something that we need to work on. That's one way that you're going to cause that law to be remembered because when you die, your children are going to continue to live. And if you instill the law of Moses in your children, it's going to carry on, and hopefully they'll instill it in their children, and then they'll instill it in their children. It's a good way to remember the law of Moses. Teach it to your children. You say, I don't know how to do it. Look, 
you just sit down and you pick a book of the Bible, you pick a book of the law, let's say Deuteronomy, and you start at Deuteronomy 1 verse 1. And if that's the only verse you cover that morning when you teach your children, you cover that verse and you do it the best that you can. You teach the law to your children and you learn as you do it as well. You know, I know it seems like an uphill battle in the midst of so many people who don't want to remember the law, especially people that profess to be Christians. It's like an uphill battle when you talk to them about the law. It's almost like a curse word to a lot of people. But look, as Brother Arnold says, the greater the battle, the greater the victory. We have to continue to remember the law of Moses in spite of it being an uphill battle. We've got to listen here to Yahweh's words through His prophet. And this is what he says before he sends Yeshua the Messiah. The last thing that the prophet, the last prophet in the Tanakh says is to remember the law of Moses. Wouldn't that be extremely odd if when Yeshua comes that he's going to do away with it? That wouldn't make any sense, would it? It's the last thing the prophet says, but he's kind of hiding it that when my son comes and he shows up, it's not going to be in effect anymore. It doesn't make any sense. Of course, we taught messages where the Messiah, the Son of Yahweh, the Son of God, Christ, He taught the commandments. And He lived the commandments. He was perfect. And you know that's the only way that we can stand before the righteous judge of the earth? Do you know that Yahweh never let down His standard? He never let His standard down. It's just that Yeshua keeps it perfectly and He accepts Him on our behalf as our substitute. But Yahweh didn't let His standard down. He's a righteous God. He makes an oath and He swears and He keeps it. He didn't say, keep my law and then, well, if you didn't do it, ah, it's no big deal. I'll just forgive you. No. The work of redemption all in, this, all in His Son is built into that. Let's go to verse 5. He says, Look, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of Yahweh comes. Now next He tells us He's going to send Elijah the prophet I believe that this verse, first of all, is a reference to John the Baptist. I don't think that one of the understandings of this verse is talking about the actual prophet Elijah being raised from the dead. I'll get more to that here in just a second. But when we read other passages in the Scriptures, in the Bible, the verse is fulfilled in the coming of John the Baptist. I want to turn to some passages here. The first one I'm going to is Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. Verse 13. He says, But the angel said to him, speaking to Zechariah, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. You will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of Yahweh, and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the sons of Israel to Yahweh their God. And he will go before him. And I'm going to tell you that that him there is the Messiah. That he is John. He, John, will go before him, the Messiah. In the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for Yahweh a prepared people. Notice verse 17 particularly, and its similarity with Malachi 4, verses 5 through 6. It says, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the day of Yahweh, and he's going to do what? 
He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the hearts of the children to the fathers. That sounds extremely similar to what we just read here by the angel in Luke one seventeen. How is John the Baptist Elijah? Well, the Bible says, the angel says, the angel of Yahweh, he's going to go before the Messiah in the spirit of and in the power of Elijah. Now that's one verse. Let's also look at Matthew chapter 11. And we'll see something that the Messiah said about, about this. Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 through 15. It says, As these men went away, Yeshua began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? Look, those who wear soft clothes are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and far more than a prophet. This is the one it is written about. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Now we'll stop right there. That's a direct quotation of Malachi 3 verse 1. We touched on that in the previous sermon. Verse 11, I assure you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence, and the violent have been seizing it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. If you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. Anyone who has ears should listen. All right, now let's turn to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17, 10 through 13. So the disciples question him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Elijah is coming and will restore everything, he replied. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they didn't recognize him. On the contrary, they did whatever they pleased to him. And you know, they killed John the Baptist. Here, they had him killed had his head cut off. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And of course, we know that they killed Yeshua too. Verse 13, Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them about John the Baptist. So here we see very clearly that as the disciples ask him why the scribes say that Elijah must come first, they understood, a lot of people understood in the Jewish faith at that time that the prophet Elijah would show up before the coming of the Messiah. And I do believe that there is a secondary fulfillment of Malachi 4 verse 5. I don't have time to get into that tonight. I believe that if you understand some things in the book of Revelation, I believe that Elijah himself at a later time in the future will be raised from the dead before the second coming of Yeshua. And we even see that a lot of people today that keep the Passover leave an open seat for Elijah. And traditionally, the door is checked just in case Elijah shows up to keep the Passover. But I just want to point out the first fulfillment in John the Baptist today. A lot of people point to John 1, verses 19 through 21, where Elijah, or excuse me, where John the Baptist makes this statement. He says, they ask him, are you Elijah? And he says, no, I'm not. And they say, well, that means that he couldn't be a fulfillment. And that's not true because it would contradict the verses that we've read. What John is saying is this. John's saying, I'm not Elijah that's going to come later. I'm not Elijah de facto. I'm not Elijah that was raised from the dead. However, I am Elijah that is, as the angel said, in the spirit and the power of Elijah. 
And so there's a dual fulfillment there of the prophecy in Malachi 4, verse 5. And a lot of times in the Bible you'll see a singular prophecy and it'll have a partial fulfillment, but then it'll have a greater fulfillment later on down the line. So I think that John the Baptist did that. And you know what? John the Baptist, he did, his message, I should say, was repentance, restoration, get back to Yahweh, repent, brood of vipers, start doing what's right. The axe is laid at the root of every tree, and if you don't bear forth fruit, you'll be cut down and cast into the fire. He wanted to turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers. Malachi chapter 4, the last verse, verse 6 says, And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. And we see that that's what the angel said that John the Baptist was going to do in some way and to some extent is turn the father's hearts to their children and the children's hearts to their fathers. You know, we get very busy today in the world that we live in and we take time out to do many things as fathers. But one thing that very few fathers take time out to do is to train their children in the Scriptures and turn their heart to the hearts of their children. You want your children to grow up and be good men and women of Yahweh? And your heart's got to be turned to them. And you've got to take extra special time to teach your children. We do things, we play video games with our children, we train them how to hit a baseball, we throw a football to them, we shoot a basketball with them, we teach them how to hunt or to fish or to ride a bike. And all of those things are not bad. There's time for recreation with Yahweh's people. And I think we should take time out to spend with our children in those areas that I just mentioned. But here's the problem. If we teach our children or play a video game with our children or teach our children how to hunt or teach them how to shoot a basketball or hit a baseball and the whole time we're not teaching them how to love Yahweh, we're doing wrong. It's like the man that kept building bigger barns for his stuff but he wasn't rich towards Yahweh. And when he died, his life was required of him. Don't let anything, fathers and mothers, but specifically this text is referring to fathers. Don't let anything get in the way of turning your heart towards your children in the area of teaching them the Scriptures. It's important to have a heart for your children in this area. You need to make sure that you teach them while they're young so that they will have a heart turned towards Yahweh as a father. Train up your child in the way that he should go. Who are you training up? Your child. So that what? Even when he's old, he won't depart from Yahweh. But you do it while they're young. That's when they're most capable of learning their manners and the customs that they're going to carry with them for the rest of their life. I've read to my children when they were still in the womb of my wife. And I read to them when they're little bitty before they can even understand words. And now I read to them now and print off lessons for them now to do that have to do with the Torah and things like that. I spend recreation time with my children. Yes, I love to do that. I like to watch my children play softball. and I like to go out and do things with them. But not to the neglect of teaching them the Scriptures. 
My heart's got to be turned to them in that area. As they grow older, if you do that, when they grow older, they're going to listen to your instructions because they were not thrown on the back burner. But rather, you took the time to teach them about Yahweh. If you wait till they get 18, 19, even 20 sometimes, and you try to shove it all into them, it's not going to work. Yahweh be upon their life and be upon their soul. But you do it while they're young. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he'll not depart. Don't throw your children on the back burner, brothers and sisters. Turn your heart to those children. And they'll turn their heart to you. I talk sometimes about disciplining children, and I believe that we should discipline our children. But I I also like to talk about something else that I've heard it called before, and I like to call it tying strings with the children. A man that just constantly beats discipline into a child but does it tie strings with the child. He's not going to have a good relationship with his child. What I mean by tying strings is that you spend time with your children in both teaching them the Scriptures and in doing recreational activities with them. And you let them know that you love them and that they're not just some kind of pond. They're not a liability, but they're a blessing. Amen? As I've said before, people tell me, you know, man, you sure do got your hands full. I said, I'd rather have full hands than empty hands. I love my children. And I, lo- I want nothing more for them than to grow up and be good servants of Yahweh and remembers of the law of Moses. That's what I want most of all. And I hope they do well in life too. But most of all, I want them to love Yahweh, love His law. You've got to tie those strings with the children. You know, you're not going to spank your children in obedience. By itself. you got to tie strings with them. And they respect you when you do it. They respect you when you spend time with them. And your heart's grown towards them and their heart comes back to you. And so when they grow up, and I teach my children, I say, when you grow up, son, I want you to marry somebody like mom. And my wife tells them, daughters, when you grow up, you marry somebody like dad. And so if we're saying that to our children, we've got to be on our P's and Q's. You know? Because if they're going to marry somebody like Dad, then Dad's got to make sure he treats Mom right. And vice versa. Turning those hearts. Listen, this is the message of John, the Baptist, the spirit of Elijah, the power of Elijah. And this is going to be the message of Elijah that's to come before the great and terrible day of the, of the second coming of the Messiah. Turn those hearts to the children. And children, turn your hearts to the fathers. That's the message. Don't throw that on the back burner. If you're doing everything else, but you're not doing that, you're sinning. You need to stop. Brothers and sisters, make it an effort. I'm so blessed to have children that get to grow up in the law of Yahweh. And if you've got that opportunity, you've got a special treasure in your hands. Now, I'm not saying it. I don't want anybody to get discouraged. I've talked with brothers and sisters here and also brothers and sisters in in this congregation across the world that consider themselves part of the body of the Messiah. And sometimes they get discouraged because they don't find out about the way of righteousness, the Torah, until sometimes their children are already grown up and, and married. Don't be discouraged. 
Yahweh can still move. He can still make a way. Sometimes people find out when their children are mid-teens or, or, or old teenagers, it's more difficult, yes, because it's not the way that Yahweh perfectly designed it. But it can still be done. You can still make the effort and Yahweh can still bless and He can still guide. But I am here to tell you, if you have the opportunity as me, by Yahweh's grace, it's nothing in me, it's by Yahweh's grace, if you have the opportunity to get married and love Yahweh together and then have a child that you can start from birth to teach the ways of Yahweh, you've got a special blessing. I receive that blessing from Yahweh and I'm thankful. I think sometimes I take it for granted. I really do. But you've got a special blessing. Turn those hearts to those children, fathers. He ends by saying that otherwise, if we don't do this, He'll come and strike the land with a curse. And it will be struck with a curse. It'll be a great day for some and a terrible day for others. Some people are going to be the calves. Remember last sermon? But not everybody. Some people are going to be the ashes. Some people get the oven, the hot oven. Others get the son of righteousness that has the healing and the tassels. He's going to strike the land with a curse and don't fall up under it. If we don't get back to remembering the law, to making mention of the law, to accepting John the Baptist as, the, as Elijah in the spirit and the power of Elijah and turning our heart towards our children, then we're going to be causing a curse to continue. And at the end of the second commandment on the tablets of stone in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, he tells us at the end of that commandment that he punishes the iniquities of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. There is such a thing as generational curse. Or curses, I should say. There is such a thing as generational cursings. It can be broken. Ezekiel 18. It can be broken. But it's difficult. Because the way that a child is reared, the way that he sees his parents, what he sees them doing is more than likely what they're going to do unless they make a decision to say, no, no, I'm going the way of Yahweh. What we've got to do is if we have the opportunity to stop that iniquity from visiting to the third and the fourth generation, we've got to do it right now. Today is the day to make the change. And then He will love those to a thousand generations that keep His commandments and His law. Gets back to making mention of the law of Moses. You make mention to people about the law of Moses. If they tell you, that sounds strange to me. You say, well, let me show you the book of Malachi chapter 4, verse 4. This is the last thing that was said before that, between the Testament time. Before the Messiah came on the scene, the prophet said, make mention, remember, you could translate it, don't forget about it, the law of Moses. Do it gently. Don't point at them when you do it. But do it gently with love. 2 Timothy 2.24 says, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle knowing that they were once in that same spot. I try to keep my, my mind thinking upon that. I was once oblivious to all of this that I know now. And I think a lot of times that's why we have disputes with folks is because we don't give them time to learn and to grow. So be gentle with it, but yet you've got to show them. You've got to show them. Amen? Let's stand and end in a word of prayer. Yahweh Father, I love you and I thank you for your instructions.
I'm thankful, Father, that I, that I attend an assembly that makes mention of your law and your prophet Moses. Peace be upon him. Father, I am so thankful for John the Baptist, for his ministry. And Father, I think I, sometimes I laugh and think what it would be like to try to convince old John if, that your law was done away with. Yeah, Father Yahweh, I pray that you'd raise up some John the Baptists, some Elijahs, great men, men that were not ashamed of, of your truth. And Father, also some women too, some Miriams, some Elizabeths, some Ruths. Father, raise them up. Father, I pray for us fathers that we would turn our hearts to our children so that they might turn their hearts to us. Pray that we would remember our duty and follow the command of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 to teach your commandments diligently to our children in, in every aspect of life, whether we're walking, lying down, rising up, or sitting in the house. Now, Father Yahweh, let us not forget. Thank you for another time to go through your word. And Father, as we begin on something new next week, uh, I pray that you'd bless and, and encourage. Thank you, Father Yahweh. Through your Son, Yeshua, we pray. Amen. Yahweh bless you. We'll see you next week. Yahweh's will. The Jewish people, a lot of, a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs>